So I remember uh, one time I was uh, uh, going on retreat and uh, there was a, f a form to fill uh, before going to the retreat and one of the questions was uh, why do you want to uh, sit this retreat? That's the verb we often use. I don't know. Why do you want to come to this retreat? And I wrote on the paper which made my teacher who read the form when I was there laugh. I wrote, um, because no one else will do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's after sitting uh, a number of retreats. I knew the work that had to be done to clear the mind heart. And I knew that reading about this stuff, wanting it to happen, <laughs> was not enough. I needed to actually sit with the murkiness and the chaos and the complexity of the heart-mind to make some, uh, maybe de detoxify and clarify and cleanse. Yeah. So I don't know what your experience is, but often we have the experience of, oh, I'm going on a silent retreat, it's going to be in the woods, it's rural. And then we sit there with a body and the mind and you know, it's not all rosy like, uh, <laughs> like in the yoga journal pictures. <laughs> <you know? laughs> it's, uh, it's a little bit more messy than that. Yeah. Um, to me, what it reveals is is our psyche, the content of our our psyche, how uh, how how it's holding life, you know, and um, because. There's not much asked of us. Can you sit here and be uh, caring? Can you go walk a little bit and be caring? And it's, it's extremely simple. Yet, I don't know if it's like this for you, but you know, doubt comes and agitation and I can't quiet the mind. And once it gets quiet, it's so quiet, it falls asleep. <laughs> and you know, there's the, seem to be the middle ground seem to be hard to reach or this center point or the equilibrium. Uh, not easy to uh, to reach or, or keep, yeah. and um, and so maybe I should start by just naming some of the um, classic things that uh, make uh, uh, retreat and sitting practice and life uh, difficult. Uh, there is uh, energies or qualities that the mind uh, can take that can show up that makes our life difficult and uh, you might recognize uh, them as uh, that they visited in the last 24 hours or, or sometimes for long moments, sometimes all mixed together, sometimes just for a few seconds and uh, as I was just doing the walking just uh, there outside I was doing, doing, doing my uh, meta walking, you know, walking with uh, having somebody in mind for a while and at some point I was just actually walking and being there for the squeak of the snow, you know, and the, f the freshness of the, the cold hair on, 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 air on the legs and, the, and just the kind of tenderness for life, and just the, the beauty of it and the, or the harshness of it also. And at some point, just uh, in my uh, peripheral vision, there was a being that was there, uh, just the sense of somebody there, and suddenly there was fear that arose. You know, mm -hmm. for a moment there was like, who's that? You know, like kind of, a, <laughs> and and it it was just a little wave of a few seconds, but it was very clearly noted. You know, there was, wow, just put me alone in nature in the wild, and I'm all good. But put a human being there, and suddenly, <laughs> you know, I'm threatened somehow. You know, <laughs> and. Uh, and it, it went really quickly because as soon as there was this threat, there was this, you know, looking up and oh, it was a friendly being, you know. So, so there's something maybe very old, biological, mm -hmm. you know, like kind of a, for protection. There's this thing that kicks in. So that can be for a moment, but sometimes it's for a long uh, period that there can be that uh, energy of uh, of uh, mm, threat, you know. I feel like I'm in a hostile world somehow, where my, you know, and it can show up as a version of fear. And this is not easy to feel, to live our life feeling this. Um, and when we come on retreat and we get silence and the stimulation is way down, 
you know, and we're not busy with all that, there's actually not much happening. And then these states of mind and heart can show up and it can be disturbing. It's like, whoa, this, why, why is that? You know, we can get agitated and caught in, in it, you know, I have to leave here, I can't stay here, it's too dangerous <laughs> place, you know. So that's one of the energy that can come. Another one is a, a strong desire for something else, you know. So I'm here, but I would want to be somewhere where else. So I'm here like this, but I would want to feel differently. Yeah. And so, or I would want the person next to me to not be, to be somebody else, you know, <laughs> to be a few feet further because of their darn breathing. <laughs> or paper unwrapping. <laughs> or, you know, so there's a, there can be a desire that can come, you know, and, and and that's also hard to live with. It's not an easeful life. And this is also things we get to learn on retreat, to sit there and say, wow, when in my mind I thought that desire was the one thing that was leading me to happiness, that when I desire this, it's showing me the way to happiness. When you get that, you know, when you'll be back in your room, you know, when you get that cup of a hot tea, you'll be happy. And in the quiet, maybe it becomes, uh, slowly, with time, it can become more obvious that actually it's disturbing. I cannot be at peace with the moment because there's something else that should be there that is not there. You know, and I'm out of uh, balance, out of equilibrium because of a strong desire. It's kind of this, this typical, this um, particular type of desire that has clinging to it, that has a... Uh, of greed, I need this to be happy. It's not the sense of uh, desire that is wholesome, a sense of direction, a sense of uh, uh, um, where there's not, I need this at all costs. Do you see the difference with that? Anyway, so that's another energy that can be there. And the agitation also. Uh, you know, you're sitting here, Again, not much is happening. Maybe it's a little uncomfortable to be in the body. But there's this, well, will he ring the bell? Will he ring the bell? Ring the bell! <laughs> you know, like, I need something else to happen, you know? And it's not, it's not because there's something wrong happening. There's nothing happening. But it's just this agitation. I live with that. That makes me make, say the things I say, do the things I do in life. When I come here and it quiets down, suddenly it's like big in my face, you know, that I'm, there's nerve, nervousness, there's the, some kind of anxiety, some kind of, uh, so it can be uh, not easy to, uh, to feel. Uh, but it's a good thing to actually encounter this in our life. Otherwise we could be led by this for a whole lifetime until the moment of death, you know. And so in a way it's heroic work that we're doing when we come here and we face these energies. It might be the only way actually to learn first to know, become aware that this is what's there, you know, and what is the appropriate way to engage with that. How am I going to release that? Yeah. And partly what we're doing here is bringing this quality of kindness, you know, of, uh, yeah. So an, another energy that can be there is the lack of energy, the lack of interest, the lack of, uh, you know, can be sh show up, manifest as depression or, uh, or disinterest, disengagement, disconnection. So I can't actually connect with what's here. There's not enough uh, something to, to make me want to be there. You know? That's also a painful way to, to be. Of course, we don't choose any of them. They, they came out of maybe our history, what happened, what we understood, how, how we unfortunately, unconsciously trained the mind to disengage, to we, uh, a way we can uh, think, ab uh, think about it is that we're constantly uh, training ourselves. There's not a moment where we're not training ourselves in some way. And so you imagine the amount of time we spend not knowing what we're training, training 
as I was saying earlier, resentment, uh, agitation, just feeding it. Oh yeah, I'll do this, when I go back to my room, I'll just make the bed, I'll change the bed place, it's the wrong place for this bed, and I'll get uh, the lamp also, I'll move the lamp, and then uh, I'll just check my emails, just, just to see, because that person was, you know, and then, so what's being trained here, if there's no consciousness, this is what's being trained. I'm learning, I'm teaching myself a way to live. You know. So, uh, I want to wake up and say, oh, what's happening here? You know, is there another way, maybe more economical, to live where there's less energy spent? You know, and then we l have to learn to coach ourselves into this way. Hey, can we just be there, just for one breath, just in this way, or can we uh, have kindness for this agitation that is here? Here is the big revolution in the mind. That's where things are starting to turn. I'm not training agitation. I'm actually training uh, wakefulness, care, attention. That is going to have amazing effects in time, uh, over time, uh, on the brain, mind, heart, call it as you want. Yeah. So, um, too much energy, agitation, impossible to connect. Too little energy, not possible to be there in a balanced way. Wanting something else to happen, not being able to really be there for what's there, in the simplicity of the moment. Not wanting something to be there. You know, the fearing or rejecting part of my experience, so I can't actually be there fully. Or, a fifth one, is doubt. So kind of spinning. Maybe it's not the right choice. Maybe I should have decided to do something. Maybe it's not for me. Everybody else can, <laughs> not me. You know, maybe I should do the, like he said, you can do the sentence or just be there. Like I should be there. No, I should actually do the sentence. <laughs> no, no, I, I think I'll just be there. You know. I should, maybe I should have done the sentences. So this kind of uh, there's a little agitation <laughs> in, my, uh, in my acting it out now. But uh, doubt is another difficult. These are known to be uh, difficult states of mind to be in. Often we, we live our lives going from one to the other, you know, and trying to find the way out. So what we're doing here, um, uh, maybe I'll talk a little bit more again about uh, concentration. I know I did this morning, but just a few words again. So with concentration, when I'm given my, give, I manage to give myself completely to one thing that is happening. So let's say I go with the phrases. I have my three or four phrases, and I keep going with them. I keep going, returning to them. And at some point, there's a connection that happens. It becomes a rich life to be uh, offering these wishes of well-being for myself, or for somebody, to, to somebody else. And there's a connection that happens. That's when there's what we call seclusion that can happen. And the seclusion of concentration is, uh, is you're secluded from these five energies amongst maybe others, but these are the classical uh, ones we talk about. So um, when you're doing this, suddenly uh, they can't come in. Desire cannot come. You know, there cannot be this voice that says, yeah, but if you did something else, it would work. There's a contentment can be there, where the f you're in the fullness of what you're doing. You know, it can be with the phrases, or it can be just with the walking outside, when attention is given fully. So for this to happen, there has to be some effort. It's not a tremendous effort. It's an effort that has in it um, Continuity or consistency. It's, it's not a huge effort, but it, and, and as it has uh, patience in it also, and no judgment. So it means that when I, when uh, it doesn't, if it doesn't work, if I get lost, I don't put any judgment on it. I just I that again with the idea of being economical. I don't spend time judging that it shouldn't be like this, I should be more concentrated. I give no space to this. I just go right back in, right back in. 
This is also learning in and of itself to abandon that bad habit of mind of judging. To just, just say like, be factual. Oh, gone. I was gone. I just thought again. An image that is used, you might have uh, heard, uh, I find very useful, is the image of training a little puppy to sit. You don't get all worked up, you know. This is not what I told you earlier, you know. <laughs> you just sit, sit love, you know. You have kindness and patience and consistence or continuity. And uh, when I had the little dog for um, the Mira Foundation, you were know, foster family for a few months with the dog, they showed us how to help the dog, the little doggy to learn to sit. They said, you just lift the chin and you say sit. And as you lift the chin, <laughs> the bump goes down. <laughs> and then I would do this, you know, like uh, the, the little dog was Washington, Miss Washington was her name. I'd say sit, Washington sit. And then she would be like, the bum would go down. I was like, yeah, this is, this is it. And then she would, <laughs> then it would come back up, you know. And I would lift the chin, you know. Sit, love, sit. And then, whoop. And there was no point. And if I had any impatience, it was painful for me and painful for the dog. And it would bring confusion. And do I really want that dog, you know. <laughs> it was much more economical to know, like, oh, I have to have patience here. It takes time to learn. So in the same way, every time I'm sitting here, I'm like, oh, you were lost, Pascal, you were lost. You know, you were lost again. Stop, you know, you, you know, there's no point in this. It's just very, very uh, uh, kind and uh, simple. Just start over again, you know, yeah. With time, all these moments of starting over again, uh, there's less and less gaps, you know. And when you have a series of little moments of being uh, present, stuck together, or your intention of sending the phrases, it gets several little moments. That's what we call concentration, this continuity of presence there. Yeah. So when this happens, then we're protected, in a way. Protected from all these different mind states that can come. It's very... It's a, uh, the work of concentration is very beautiful because it shows us an other way to live. You know, you suddenly you're like, wow, I don't need anything. This moment is full right now. And whoops, no, suddenly it's not full anymore. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but if I was a little lighter or if it, my back was hurting a little less, you know, or something, it just comes back in. And say, thank you, but no thank you. Just going to give myself to the task at hand, we could say. So, this is the benefit of the concentration. It, it builds over time. And at some point, it becomes something that is accessible. It might become even more of a default setting instead of scatteredness. Gatheredness can become of a, of a baseline more. Yeah. The teacher. Um, Joseph uses uh, this example, he says, when you start to meditate, it's as if you're a little ball here uh, on the bell, and you, you, you put your attention on the phrases, or are you just being here, you know, these two kind of options that I'm offering you, of just being here in a kind way, hearing sounds and stuff. And as soon as you start, whoops, you just drop, it's just like, Habitual thoughts come back. Yeah, but you never called that person back. It's been 10 years now. <laughs> 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 and it's just like this, and you're like, please, you know? And it's like this, but with practice, at some point, it's as if the bell uh, reversed, and now you're here. And sometimes it's like, but you never called that person. Whoops, yeah. It goes right back. You know, you're not like, you didn't fall, fall from heaven anymore, and like, you're in it. And it goes away, and, and it's... Uh, but this is not the result of um, wanting it, of desire. But I want, I want the bell in this side. <laughs> it doesn't work like this. It's, it's a question of, uh, you know, in Buddhism we talk a lot about cause and effect. Causality, conditionality. The teaching around this is that things happen when the conditions are right. And the whole of the practice is to learn what condition <coughs> will bring something uh, there and what conditions we have control over and can we accept that some conditions we don't have control over. You know? 
And in this case, uh, what will bring the concentration is the, you know, the generous way that we are, the not giving up way, the kind of uh, gentle persistence, if I can call it like that. So that's, uh, that's one thing. So one of the things that is happening is the building up of concentration. Yeah. Another way that we kind of attack the problem of the hindrances of difficult mind states is the metta itself. Yeah. It's, it's the kindness I- itself. Um, I don't know if you're, um, you know that story of the first time that the Buddha taught uh, metta to his um, monks and nuns. It was the time of the, the rains retreat. So when there's the monsoon in Asia, the monks and nuns uh, s- uh, at that time uh, would stop wandering around, uh, not to destroy the, the rice fields. And so they would just say, okay, for the times of the rains, we're going to stay in one place and practice there. Yeah. So it was a time of more int- intense practice, like what we're doing here. We're on, we're on our uh, snow retreat. <laughs> and uh, so there was one group of monks uh, and nuns. We left, and the Buddha told them, you go in that forest over there. That's going to be a good place for you to practice in the forest, because it's not so far from a village where you'll be fed by the villagers. They'll be happy to offer you food, uh, wanting to support you in your practice. Uh, And so they went to that forest. And after a few days, they came back to the Buddha, and they said, please uh, allow us to change a place for the for our retreat, because where we are, we are scared. Many of us are scared. We hear voices, and we, and uh, it, it's uh, it's a scary place to be. We don't <coughs> like it. We think there's spirits there and stuff. And the Buddha said, he looked, and he thought about it. We could say, and uh, he said, uh, no, I think it it actually is a good place. So I give you that protection that you can use to uh, bring ease to your mind. And he taught them the metta sutta that sutta is a discourse and metta is the loving kindness so the loving kindness discourse and he said learn this by heart and chant this and go back where you are and you'll have ease of mind during your retreat and that's what they did and so this practice is also taught as a protection not only from the concentration point of the mind being steady but just because of the quality of the heart-mind, when there is friendliness, it's a protection that one can offer to oneself. So it is a protection from the difficult mind states. Um, when I think of the monks and nuns in the woods uh, being afraid, the uh, analogy that I make for myself is I don't think of real of spirits in the woods and things like this. I I, I think of my own mind if I was in the woods, <laughs> you know that the 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 fear would probably be a lot generated from inside, you know, and so these are the <coughs> difficult emotions I talk about, you know, would come and visit from my own psyche, would produce the fear, you know, uh, I could I could. Uh, I could be self-sustaining in uh, <laughs> in the difficult emotions. You know, I could produce thoughts that are, uh, uh, you know, despairing and uh, uh, difficult, bring difficult mind states. So the, the the practice of metta in this way is very protective, because when there is uh, metta, there is kindness in the mind, in the very uh, in the precise. Uh, psychological teaching of Buddhism it says that when there is the presence of kindness in the mind at the same moment it's not possible to have the presence of uh, uh, the difficult mind states it just doesn't happen in the same mind moment the thing is that we have several mind moments they go like uh, really quickly you know these moments of consciousness and so it can when our attention is not extremely refined, it can be blurry. We can find that we're kind but uh, fearful, 
but actually it's not, it's not the case. Sometimes what happens is that, um, let's, say I'm, uh, let's say if I was sitting here and I was remembering something difficult from the past and there was some distress or resentment that was, would be there and then I would recognize, oh Pascal, you're distressed, you know, you're, you're worked up right now, you know. In that moment, that very moment of recognition, there's no more anger and resentment and distress in that moment. There's only caring. But there are the leftovers in the body, maybe, that you can feel. The tightness is still there, the you know, acidity in the throat, or, or whatever the tension in the back can still be there, because the physicality is much more slow than the mind. The mind moves very, very quickly. But the body moves a little, you know, the physical world is a little bit more slow. So that when a wave of, of, a, of a difficult emotion passes, sometimes they can be leftovers. So, and so what I'll notice for myself happening is that, so, oh, you got a little lust now in some kind of uh, thoughts, you know, that are not so useful. And the, the caring is there, but sometimes the thoughts will come right back, you know. Yeah, but they really said that to me. They really <laughs> did that to me, you know. And then I'll be like, love. It's really difficult to hold things in this way, you know. And then it's quite, yeah, but, <laughs> you know, the story wants to come back, yeah. So I have to abandon it again and again. And so this caring when it's there, it's wholesome. The whole <coughs> of the mind is wholesome in that moment. Uh, but it might be shaky, you know, as I was saying this morning. We have the kindness, we have the care, we have access to it, but it's very shaky. You know, it can be uh, pushed out of the mind or the heart really quickly by another kind of uh, quality of the mind that was, has been well trained in this mind, you know. And so it can take over again, yeah. So the practice is to bring some stability to the kindness so that it can uh, be available uh, very easily. Part of what we do is the with the being attentive, you know, to re we remember our intention to be present, to be caring. We remember. So that's, this remembering is, uh, is, um, is part of uh, mindfulness. Mindfulness is being attentive, but it's also remembering to be attentive. That's part of uh, that quality of mind. And so one thing that is important to say is that every time we remember to be attentive, to be caring. Uh, every time we remember, it's not just an isolated moment. It's a training. It, uh, it's uh, synapses that are, what's mm -hmm. the famous Canadian doctor saying? Penfield. Whatever fires <laughs> together, wh wires together, what's his name? Penfield. Penfield, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Penfield. Um, yeah, so every time that we remember to come back, this is a, a very important moment. We can actually rejoice about that instead of judge, you know. Wow, you were gone again. Hey, you're back again. That is good news because this is the cause, mm -hmm. causality, conditions. This is the cause for a future moment of remembering to be careful, to be caring. Yeah, so that's extremely important. That is what we're doing here. We just sit here and remember again and again. And that's one of the things. Another thing that, thing that we do is we're developing these two qualities of aiming the attention and sustaining. Aiming and sustaining with an object that is wholesome. Caring, attention. You, know, you could do this. You could aim and sustain with ha hatred. You know? <laughs> it would be one way to develop it, but you would be developing also hatred, you know. So here we use a very wholesome uh, quality of mind to do this. I wonder if there are any questions so far about what you've heard since you've arrived of your, your practice the things that were just mentioned here in the last few minutes. <coughs> so, maybe a few words I could add is um, 
the meta is um, taught as being part of the Brahma Viharas. Brahma Viharas is, um, if you translate this, it, uh, it means the abodes of Brahma, the, uh, um, the refuge of Brahma, maybe we could say. And so in the time of the Buddha, uh, many people had this belief that um, the ultimate thing that could happen to a being would be to be united with Brahma go live with Brahma in the Brahma world, you know, and people wish that, this is what they wanted, that was their definition of heaven, you know, of a, uh, to be with one with Brahma. And so when the Buddha came with his teaching, he put a little twist into this, so in this conversation with people, it seems like he would say, You're, you want to hang out with Brahma, you want to know what, what is the, the heaven of Brahma, I'll tell you, there's four of four abodes of Brahma, the Brahma-viharas. One is metta. If you have a friendly mind, this is it. You've reached Brahma. So one of them is the friendly uh, mind. This is the, m the mind or heart. You can, in Buddhism, you can go from the one to the other or use them both, heart-mind. So when the mind has been cleared from the confusion, all the misunderstanding about things and how, uh, what leads to happiness and what doesn't lead to happiness and what, what is uh, useful to train and what is useful to be abandoned and, and all this, when there's a clearing of the heart, which is a life practice, yeah. Li lives, many lives, or <laughs> when there's a clearing of, of the heart, naturally, there is the caring, the friendliness of this uh, unconditional love, a kind of love that is not uh, possessive, possessive, that is, uh, is, uh, is not about getting. It's, uh, it's not a love that, has, uh, that is attached, a kind of love that we know a lot, uh, that is very present in 99% uh, of the songs, <laughs> is a love that, has a, that is a love like this, this love is a little bit more like that. Yeah, it's an open love. So it's not a love that has uh, attachment in it. Yeah, it's a, it's a love that uh, um, knows. And that when this love, this metta, is based on a deep wisdom, is no, it knows that there's nothing to hold, nothing to possess. It's not possible to possess anything. It just wishes naturally for the good. Yeah. This, uh, this, this meta, uh, maybe I'll talk a little bit more about it before I name the, I know, name the three other Brahma Viharas, abodes of, uh, of uh, Brahma, divine, sometimes translated as divine abodes. Yeah. So this meta is a little different than also than an, uh, another kind of love that is called Pema. Is another kind of love. It has some. It's uh, It's uh, It's not the love that has great passion in it, like romantic love, but it's a love that has attachment anyway in it. It's often the love we find in uh, in family. You know, there's uh, this love is very beautiful as long as things go well. <laughs> <laughs> but when things are not going so well, suddenly it gets desperate, fearful, angry, uh, distressed, yeah? So it's a love that uh, is, attached to a is attached to the health, for example, of the being that is, uh, uh, you know, the receiver of the Pema. It's very much attached. It's fear for, you know, sometimes it's attached to them coming back at that time and having picked up a, a milk on the way, <laughs> and the, the, the payment is out of the window as soon as the milk is not there, <laughs> something like this, but it, it's also much deeper than that. It's a, it's a love that you see even in the stories of the Buddha says, the Buddha says, oh, in that lifetime, uh, 
I was the you and me were husband and wife. You know, we were together, and the lifetime after, we were two elephants in the same tribe. You know, and we wandered through many, many lifetimes to, together, doing our work together. It's a very beautiful kind of love, but there's a there's some kind of attachment in it. Meta is very, very pure love. It's not conditional. It doesn't have any kind of attachment to it. So, uh, and in in uh, in our relationship, sometimes we do have access to metta. We feel it for a moment, you know. It can, but usually it's not sustainable or sustained by us. Our, our love goes from metta to pema to tanha, being really like really attached, you know, like really really uh, even angry, you know. Don't you know that I love you? <laughs> 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 you know? And we know that. I mean, we're. I'm laughing, but. I've been in that <laughs> love machine <laughs> also, yeah. So um, sometimes we talk about this meta with uh, the near and the far enemy. The near enemy is the is uh, is it something that is very similar that we can mistake it from one another. So this attachment or pema can be a, a, a we can think we have meta. But it's not totally pure, and we'll see it at some point. When things turn, turn out not the way we wanted, we'll see how suddenly it gives into distress and fear of losing. And I'll say, oh, there was attachment in that. That is a very human thing. You know, this is a place not to judge, because this, this is what we know. This is how we live our life, you know. So, so it's, uh, it's, um, it's not... Um, it shouldn't be cause for a judgment or guilt or, you know, beating yourself up. You know that that's that's what uh, how naturally we feel love. Right? But the Buddha teach that there's another way that we can learn to open the hand you know, and uh, and have the love that is not uh, doesn't need for a particular response. It's really freely offered. You know. It doesn't have self as a re reference point. And the self is love. It's just a pure love. It's not about me and do you love me back? And uh, you know, I love you because it means something to me or something like that. So um, it's definitely an object of contemplation and exploration in our life. How we, can we purify the love like this? But anyway, when the, the heart has been uh, cleared up of all the mm, toxins or misunderstandings, <coughs> naturally uh, it says that this is what arises. Naturally it's friendly in this way. Yeah. When this friendliness meets uh, success or joy, or uh, it naturally rejoices, becomes happy. That's the one other of the abodes, the four houses of Brahma I was talking about, the divine abodes. It's called mudita. It's the capacity to rejoice in the joy of somebody else, in the happiness of somebody else. So we can see how we don't often have access to this, huh? or how we'll have access to this. Wow, it's very, well, but what about me? I didn't get <laughs> <laughs> that phone call. You know, why did you get that email? <laughs> you know? So how it can be uh, perturbed or distorted by envy and how this uh, little distortions in our hearts sometimes. So another of the divine abodes is compassion. So it would be the natural response of the heart when it meets the difficult. So not despair, not anger, not uh, cutting, uh, shutting down, not freezing none of these and many more uh, response that we can uh, have in the face of difficulties, our own, or the difficulties of somebody else. In this, uh, this abode of compassion, karuna in Pali, is uh, a natural uh, caring and the capacity to be there with the difficult. So you can see that as we sit here, even though we didn't talk about this in so many words, that's also what we learn to practice. Uh, you know, as we sit here and it becomes uh, difficult to be here because of physical pain, 
because of uh, because of mental anguish, you know, like I have enough of the sitting, I want this finish, shift sitting to finish, and then this move towards like, hey, it's not easy to be here, huh? love. It's not easy for you to be here right now. This not shutting down, not reacting, just acknowledging, being there. Compassion in a way. The fourth uh, abode, the fourth uh, Brahma Vihara, is uh, equanimity. That's the stability of mind. The mind that, uh, it's, uh, that in the cases of the three others, can, uh, can the mind can stay centered. It's a centeredness. A non-reactivity, you could call it. Yeah. So when there is no, no, n uh, n the mind is non-reactive. There's a lot of freedom in it. So I can be with the difficult, care about it, and stay balanced. Yeah. So these are the Buddha was saying. Oh yeah, you're interested in hanging out with Brahma, being uh, in heaven in a way. This. I'll tell you, this is heaven. This, and you have to be alive to to experience it. That's only for the living beings. <laughs> you have to be. It happens not after life, but during mm -hmm. life, you know? which is a good news, I think. <laughs> yeah. So. I picked up a few um, poems and things that I wanted to bring. <coughs> um, this morning, as we were doing uh, meta over here, meta for oneself, I had uh, came back to mind this beautiful poem of um, uh, Galway Canal that you might know St. Francis of the Sow. The Sow being a um, female pig. Eh? Is that the right way to say yes. that? Mm -hmm. Just for our friend, French friends who have not heard that. So this is a beautiful poem here. So I'll read it once. It says, the bud. The bud, like the bourgeon in French, the bud. The bud stands for all things, even for those things that don't flower. For everything flowers from within of self-blessing. Though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to put a hand on its brow of the flower and retell it in words and touch, it is lovely until it flowers again from within, of self-blessing. So my understanding of what we're doing is this. So we're reteaching the flower its beauty. Yeah. Sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to put a hand on its brow of the flower and retell it in words and in touch, it is lovely, until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. Maybe I'll read the second part of the poem also because uh, it's a little bit more hard, harder for me to say and uh, maybe for you then to understand, but I'll go over after. So it says, um, uh, retell in words and in touch its loveliness until the flowers, uh, um, until it, it flowers again from within of self-blessing. As Saint Francis put his hand on the creased forehead of the sow, and told her in words and in touch blessings of earth on the sow. And the sow began remembering all down her thick length from the hearthen snout all the way through the father and slops to the spiritual curl of her tail 
from the heart spininess spiked out of her spine down through the great broken heart to the sheer blue milky dreaminess spurting and shuddering from the 14 tits into the 14 mouths sucking and blowing beneath them the long perfect loveliness of the sow. As Saint Francis starting to stroke this pig, you know, to help this pig in all its imperfection, the nose running and the tail all like this and, and through all of this being so that this being can remember its loveliness. I love it because it's very much how I feel often. I feel so imperfect, so messy, so not the perfect version <laughs> that I have in my mind of what a being of this being could be, you know. And even then, the perfect loveliness of this being, with all its messiness. And here, another poem from uh, Mary Oliver again. Um, and I think it, uh, it describes very well uh, the practice we're doing here of the meta practice of using two, three, or four very simple phrases, nothing sophisticated here, you know, very simple practice. And she describes, uh, it seems to me like she's describing what we're doing in this poem. She says, it doesn't have to be the blue iris, it could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention, then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but a doorway into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. I'll read it again. It doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention. Then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but a doorway into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. So this is what we're doing here, <coughs> giving way to uh, another voice creating a silence in the silence, the space for another voice to emerge, a wholesome, uh, even more than wholesome, a liberating voice. Yeah. Maybe I'll finish with just uh, sharing a few of the classic uh, the classic benefits of metta that we read in the very old texts, sometimes when text I think is 1,500 years old, the Visuddhimagga, and I think that's where the, this description is. So I like that also. It shows how, so the Buddha gave this teaching 2,600 years ago. 2,600 years ago, human beings felt fear, confusion, you know. And there was this answer, this possibility of developing this quality of heart to bring ease of mind, to offer ease of mind. Yeah. A thousand five hundred years ago, somebody wrote about this. Again, this quality was needed. Beautiful. Um, I was watching a little video that somebody sent me of uh, somebody who was, uh, is it the raven that just won the Super Bowl? Mm -hmm. The rape? No, nobody knows. 
<laughs> anyway, there was this guy, uh, this one of the player was uh, was uh, uh, talking on TV about um, uh, it was the, the little uh, the, the exchange was about uh, about uh, L LGBTQ queer gay lesbian uh, uh, rights and uh, it was very, very so you have this big footballer. And he was really an amazing advocate with so much intelligence and clarity about, uh, mm -hmm. about accepting people as they were and making space for people to be there and stuff. And uh, at some point, he said something like, uh, the, the, the interviewer said, but isn't it a strange, like, is it like the way you're talking about this, it sounds uh, kind of sweet and you're in a team of guys playing football. And, and he was like, hey, you know, do you know why we just won the, 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 the Super Bowl? We won the Super Bowl because we guys on this team love each other. Mm -hmm. We loved each other much more than the other team loved each other. This mm -hmm. is the love that we have that is there, all the, the love that our coach has for us. It is love that makes us do everything we did. And this is, this is sweet. This is very manly. This, you have a football team. You know, you can't get more testosterone together than that. You know? <laughs> and what made us uh, win is love. Is my love for my partner. My, my, you know. And I thought, well, how amazing! That was beautiful. And he was owning it totally. You know, no, uh, no shame, no shyness about it. He was saying, uh, this is it. And uh, anyway, I thought it was very beautiful. And I thought, well, he's talking about uh, maybe. Or the meta <laughs> or something, but he was talking about love, you know. Very beautiful. So anyway, the classic, um, the classic uh, benefits of meta, and that's very good to actually consider. You might there's a little something. It's partly funny, but there's something in it, uh, in the sense that uh, it's said that this meta is something that you want to reflect on, think about. You know, you want to. Three things you want to do with this meta. You want to think about it. Think about how it's truly useful in your life, you know, and the the dangers of other uh, qualities of mind like hatred, you know, and the benefits of meta. You want to reflect in this way. So, the, so in the teaching, we say think about this. Think about it because when you think about it, as I said this morning, it becomes the inclination of your mind. So you want to think about it. You want to meditate. On it, it means develop it, cultivate it consciously in your mind, heart. Not just think about it, but generate it, sustain it, uh, make it arise, make it stay, make it grow. Yeah? <coughs> so you want to reflect, meditate on it, and you want it to inform your actions and speech. You want it to become principles to lead lead your life. Speak of metta in a. Uh, with an intention of caring instead of other options that you would have. You know? So three ways. So the first one here of, uh, of uh, reflecting on the benefits of metta. So and I think I know them by heart. So, so the classic benefits, I think there are 11, 10 or 11. We'll try. So you will, um, you will fall asleep easily. When, when this is present in your mind, heart, that you inhabit that abode, that refuge. You, know. you will fall asleep easily, you will uh, sleep well, you will wake up uh, refreshed. Yeah. People will uh, tend to love you. Uh, animals would, will <laughs> tend to love you. And I remember when I was uh, practicing the first time I ever sat, uh, ever learned anything about meditation, sat a retreat in Thailand. There was a little monk that was there. He was very, very happy. And he was actually teaching us the metta. And he would, say, he would say that. He would say, practice metta. People would love you. Chicken will love you. Because there was chickens around everywhere. You know? And he was very, very happy. It was very beautiful because as the other monks there in that center, he didn't own much. You know, the, the monks, the, they owned uh, two robes, a bowl, toothbrush, maybe a razor and a little mirror that you've pretty gone around the, the whole of the, you know, what they own. And I remember one of them showing me a, uh, his hut and uh, was very happy to show me his pillow, which was a lug. 
of wood, <laughs> and the joy that was there, and the and uh, and I, and for me that was one of my really seriously one of my hooked for practice because I was oh, these guys don't have much, but they radiate with joy. You know what's they got something that I don't got, you know, and I want that. You know, I want to discover what it is, and so. So I'm remembering this meta monk. And so uh, other benefit would be, so you're loved by uh, uh, beings, uh, human beings, animals, and angels. In the, in the Thai tradition, or the Buddhist tradition, we call them devas. They live in trees and they might be around here listening to these teachings <laughs> for their own benefit. Yeah. So the angels will love you. And you won't be harmed by poison, fire, or weapons. And uh, at the time of death, you will die a peaceful death, not distressed, not uh, agitated. Yeah. And you will be uh, reborn in the heavenly realm. Uh, oh, and the, maybe the most important one, you'll have beautiful complexion. <laughs> so that's not to underestimate. <laughs> it's very beautiful because after his awakening, the Buddha, you know, the Buddha just, by the way, if you were not aware, was just a, a regular guy, you know, was, I mean, it was not a god, it was just a, be a, a human being. It happened, unfortunately, sometimes I think it, that it was a man. It could have been a good thing if I'd been a woman, <laughs> but he happened to be a man. And uh, after his awakening, so he, you know, sat down and really looked seriously with great attention, refinement of mind to the mind-body experience, heart experience, and was able to clear all the attachments and confusion. And after that, he uh, left the place where he was, uh, had been practicing under the Bodhi tree and started to uh, walk to go and find some people to share these uh, teaching, teachings and practices with. And the first person he encountered, uh, in the text we read, that the first person he encountered was really, uh, how do you say that, awestruck or like was like, wow, just stopped him on the path where they were walking and said, who are you? Who, what are you? What? What's with you? What's with you? You're kind of glowing. There's something about you. Are you an angel? Are you a human being? It's unclear. And the Buddha just said, I'm awake. I'm, you know, I'm awake. The heart has been cleared up. Metta is flowing naturally. Mm. Of course I'm glowing. <laughs> of course I have beautiful complexion. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and so it's, uh, it's like this. I remember one of my, I had the chance to practice with Parks. I had a Burmese master who had done a lot of metta, I practiced a lot of this quality of heart and mind. And every day I had to go see him to make my report on my meditation during a retreat. And so I would have to bow uh, three times before I would actually start uh, doing my report. So bowing, when, I, when we bow like this, we bow not so much to the person, it might be, but it's mainly to the lineage, to the work that has been done, to the fact that this being not only knows the theory, but it has made this teaching become alive in a human being. That's not, that's not small business, to actually embody these teachings. You can find a lot of books about these teachings, but to actually embody them is not an easy thing to do. And so that's noble work we're doing here. So I was about doing my bow, uh, and at the end I would just, you know, lift my head, and I then I was supposed to do my report. But there was something about him that was so sweet, and his teaching was very, very rigorous, very, uh, you know, it, it was not ju not just like hey, so happy to see you, you know, like it was, it was extremely precise. It was very hard to do the practice that he was teaching. But there was something about him that felt so safe, so, you know, the reference would be, you know, the symbolic grandfatherly love, you know. We, we didn't get to experience uh, 
it, all of us, you know, there was all kinds of <laughs> grandfatherly love, you know, but the, the symbolic one that I'm talking about, yeah, there was this about him, and I would do my third bow and lift my head to give my report, and I would always like completely forget who I was or what, like I would just kind of fall in a kind of a pool of love or something, you know, and I would just be like this. You know, and then you would be like, just like, report, you know, then, or something like There was a word which I can remember what, but always the same word. But he always had to kind of bring me back to life, you know, and then I would just, oh, remember who I was and what I was coming <laughs> to talk about. But there was always this, and I remember going to see him, and the practice was really hard, so I was often failing, you know, in a way, like it would, I would have these things to do, but my mind was agitated and I was thinking about other things and the report was not going to be so beautiful, you know. But still, I was almost running to go see uh, this old monk, you know, because there's something about being in the room with him that was so beautiful, I didn't even mind if I was going to give a bad report, you know, because I was going to be around him for a little while, you know, and there was something very uh, felt in the body. And when he was asked what it was, he would just say, this is the, it's not me, it's nothing to do with me, it's this practice. This is this practice, that's what it does, you know. It, it, it brings, it cheers people, or it brings the people up. And some people have this naturally. You know. We feel around them naturally that their love is uh, impacting us. Yeah. So in this way we're not so separate, we touch each other. One good reason to develop uh, metta. Okay, so I think that's uh, many words on this, meant to inspire you, clarify what we're doing, but also uh, keep you going. So I hope it did the, the work some. So let's just take one moment in the posture where you are, if you want, silence to just let the words dissolve. Just a few words uh, from the discourse of the Buddha, the Metta Sutta. Karaniya atta kusalena yantam santam padam abhisamecha ujucha sujucha suachucha sa anatimani Santindriocha nipakocha apagambo kulesu anangido yekechi panabutati yatasatawasa anawasesa. Whatever living creatures there be, without exception, weak or strong, long, huge, middle-sized or short, minute or bulky, whether visible or invisible, and those living near or far, born or to be born, may all beings be happy.
So I think I um, messed up some of the words in Pali and things like this, but anyway. And uh, the translation that I gave was not of the <coughs> little part I sang to you. <laughs> anyway, there was a little moment there. And maybe at some point we'll, uh, tonight we'll read the whole thing together. So in the meantime, bon appétit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.